Hi, I'm Alexandra Yuhas. This is an emergency episode of We Need Gentle Truths for Now. The podcast engages in radical digital media literacy by enjoying a bite of education and a bit of poetry, creating humane responses to fake news and social media in the era of COVID-19. This extra episode is made during an enduring time of uprising following the murders of African-Americans by police, a form of systemic violence that has organized our nation across its history, as have our attempts to stop it. Over the past eight weeks, as Black Lives Matters protests continue to be a daily fact of life here in Brooklyn, I reached out to fellow artists and scholars whose work focuses on race, protest, and art. I had recently co-edited a book with AIDS scholars Jafei Cheng and Nishant Shahani, AIDS and the Distribution of Crises. Whenever we spoke on video calls about our work together, we also checked in about daily life, in our cities, in our homes, on the streets. As two men of color and three queer feminists and activists with histories and a range of struggles, we sought solace and methods for self-care, as well as shared histories from which we could gain sustenance. My friends make resonant connections between ecology, blackness, strength, and violence. How plants, earth, and seeds center rather than scatter us. They do so by sharing and discussing poetry. So I thought I would start with reading up the poem. So here goes. A Small Needful Fact by Ross Gay. A small needful fact is that Eric Garner worked for some time for the Parks and Rec Horticultural Department which means perhaps that with his very large hands, perhaps in all likelihood, he put gently into the earth some plants which most likely, some of them, in all likelihood continue to grow, continue to do what such plants do, like house small and necessary creatures, like being pleasant to touch and smell, like converting sunlight into food, like making it easier for us to breathe. I think one of the reasons why I was particularly drawn to this piece at this moment is because it serves as a kind of, I don't know if if anchor or placeholder is the right term here, but we've talked a lot about this notion of scattering, right, in our book, AIDS and the Distribution of Crises. And I think it's Emily Bass, if I'm correct, who first invokes this term in our book. In general, the idea of scattering became a useful methodological tool for us in the book to think about the connections between AIDS and say, the logics of gentrification or settler colonialism or the prison industrial complex. And I think we've also extended this idea of scattering in some of our book launch events to talk about COVID-19 and how that also requires a kind of scattered or, or capacious lens so that we can see widespread connections to how COVID sheds light on you know, crises in, in housing and access to water to force migration patterns, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the poem actually indexes this idea of scattering in, in quite literal ways, right? I mean, the literal act of scattering seeds is, of course, essential to gardening and horticulture that the poem invokes in the context of Eric Garner, right? He, he actually scatters seeds, puts them gently into the earth.
small needful fact is that Eric Garner worked for some time for the Parks and Rec Horticultural Department, which means perhaps that with his very large hands, perhaps in all likelihood, he put gently into the earth some plants which, most likely, some of them, in all likelihood, continue to grow, continue to do what such plants do, like house and feed small. So when I teach the poem, I think there's much to discuss in the reference to horticulture. For example, in in thinking about the relationship between ecology and blackness, right? Or, for example, I have discussions with my students when I teach this poem on the politics of environmental redlining. We also discuss the limits of ecological critiques that don't actively connect to questions of race that have ignored indigenous and decolonial eco-critiques. But in this moment, for now, I also want to think about what it means to consider the idea of Eric Garner or George Floyd or Tony McDade or Breonna Taylor or Rekia Boyd as scattering seeds that make it easier for us to breathe. Into the earth, some plants which, most likely, some of them, in all likelihood, continue to grow continue to do what such plants do, like house and feed small and necessary creatures, like being pleasant to touch and smell, like converting sunlight into food, like making it it easier for us to breathe. But I think when Roske ends the poem with this idea of Eric Garner making it easier for us to breathe, we can think of this idea in light of how collective mourning can make it easier for us to breathe, that that it can be the place where resistance starts or gets at least magnified. We've seen this in the past, of course, with AIDS activism and with Black Lives Matter. And we see this again, where the seeds of abolitionist critiques have in this moment seen a new kind of scattering, if you will, a new kind of visibility that I'm not sure we've seen before. I think the last thing I want to say, and and in some ways this connects to abolitionist critique, is when when I read this poem, I'm really drawn to the the subjunctive tone of the poem, right? There's this constant repetition of possibly, maybe, perhaps, in all likelihood. And I've been trying to think about the form of the poem and, and why it expresses itself through the mood of the subjunctive, the the what if, the maybe. Uh, the in all likelihood. There's such a rich archive of Black feminist and Black queer thinking that operates from this vantage point of the, of the what if. Um, I'm thinking here of everyone from Audre Lorde's use of biomethography in Zami to Saidia Hartman's work on the Hottentop Venus, where she fills in the blanks of Venus's story because her story has only been written by European slaveholders. I'm also thinking of a text like The Watermelon Woman and its liberties with quote-unquote historical facts. Coincidentally, I was just reading this morning would have been Emmettel's 79th birthday. And I immediately thought of, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this poem, um, it's uh, Eve Ewing's stunning poem uh, that can also be placed in this subjunctive tradition. It's a poem called I Saw Till This Week at the Grocery Store. In, in a few short seconds, the poem communicates the difference between 
the world that we live in and, and, and the world that could be. I saw Emma Till this week at the grocery store by Eve L. Ewing. I saw Emma Till this week at the grocery store, looking over the plums one by one, lifting each to his eyes and turning it slowly, a little earth, checking the smooth skin for pockmarks and rot, or signs of unkind days or people, then sliding them gently into the plastic, whistling softly, reaching with a slim woolen arm into the cart. He first balanced them over the wire before realizing the danger of bruising and lifting them back out, cradling them in the crook of his elbow until something harder could take that bottom space. I knew him from his hat, one of those fine pork pie numbers they used to sell on Roosevelt Road. It had lost its feather, but he had carefully folded a dollar bill and slid it between the ribbon and the felt, and it stood at attention. He wore his money. Upright and strong, he was already to the checkout by the time I caught up with him. I called out his name and he spun like a dancer, candy bar in hand, looked at me quizzically for a moment before remembering my face. He smiled. Well, hello, young lady. Hello, so chilly today, should have worn my warm coat like you. Yes, so cool for August in Chicago. How are things going for you? Oh, he sighed and put the candy on the belt. It goes, it goes. So I, I think there is something about this subjunctive mood that requires leaps of the imagination, both on the part of the authors of these works, but also of its readers. And, and I think abolitionist critiques require us in some ways to make these same leaps of the political imagination, right? They, they ask, what if we did not resort to carceral solutions to social problems? What, what if we imagined a world and created systems of accountability without the racialized force of the state, without the police, without the military? So I'll stop here, but I, I think this poem for me is, is a kind of creative reimagining of Eric Garner's life, uh, a kind of biomythography, again, to use Audrey Lord's words. And maybe I am overreading a bit, and maybe I'm also imposing the present moment on this poem, but I actually think that the poem also encourages this, this spirit of scattering. So yeah, I'll stop there and love to hear your thoughts. Wow, thank you so much, Nishant. When I read your writing about this the first time and I read Roske's poem, I'm so moved and I, and I really want to follow through with this idea of scattering in, in different ways. When you introduced me to Roske's poem about Eric Garner titled The Small Needful Fact, I was really moved by how something so seemingly small, such as a seed, could lead to someone's publicly recorded and violent murder, which then also further galvanized the movement for Black Lives. Um, I thought about Garner's hands and breath as these things nurtured a plant, as sunlight cast itself upon that plant so that we could all breathe and feed together in the hopes that we all plant more seeds again. But that work, um, since the spread of global capitalism and the quote-unquote founding of America, the work to harvest and sustain the world has actually been the work of Black, Indigenous, and immigrant lives 
while white plantation owners accumulated generations of privilege and or wealth that have given us the likes of Trump, Pence, and the majority of US presidents, the majority of US government and the world's CEOs like Amazon.com's Jeff Bezos. I thought about the plant that Eric Garner, Michael Brown, George Floyd, and many other black and brown people have stood accused of holding in their hands without white permission, specifically tobacco. I thought about how Breonna Taylor was murdered by police because of criminal and drug laws that have systemically targeted black, indigenous, and brown communities here in the United States, but also through US military imperialist wars. From there, I felt that Gay's poem prompted me to think about the ecology of media itself, in which images about anti-Black murders circulate, but also in relation to the ecology of tobacco in which the history of European and American colonialism and global capitalism continue to circulate. I thought about how the founding of the European Settlers Society at Roanoke, Virginia, through the harvesting of the indigenous tobacco plant, I thought about the founding of the first virus in the tobacco plant called the tobacco mosaic virus. I thought about the founding of one of the earliest and most lucrative US companies, Philip Morris, through the toxic global industry of tobacco using people of color as agricultural laborers and its consumers. I thought about how the founding of the quote unquote immortal HeLa cell line used for lab experiments worldwide depended upon the extraction of the cancerous cervical cells of Henrietta Lacks, who comes from a history of enslaved tobacco farmers. Those cells were taken from her without her knowledge and were used in lab experiments um, worldwide in the wake of her death. Then I thought about where we are at today with COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter. I thought more about how the light that is cast through the lenses of video cameras to create images are tied to the processes of photosynthesis that plants engage to sustain air, food, and water. I thought about how these images live and breathe and speak to tell us about the shadow histories of colonial agriculture, racism, and misogyny in science and healthcare, and ways of being together to renew the ecosystem rather than find further ways to separate us, to intensify race, gender, and class hierarchies, and to atomize and alienate our existences. The on-the-ground organizing, the sharing of breath in public space when we say the names Nina Pop, Tony McDade, and when we shout Black Lives Matter, the encouragement to convene in the streets, wear masks, provide free supplies and food, and to take care of each other in the face of the pandemic and in the face of police violence, while demanding the defunding of police, the abolition of police and prisons, and the funding of healthcare and housing. To me, these are the ways in which we are nurturing the systems of mutual care and ecologies that require all of our senses, touch, smell, taste, sound, and sight. And so I see Gage poem as an encouragement to both think about things in scattered, but also really connected ways to be able to think across the expanses of histories of not only decades, but centuries of black resistance and indigenous fight against dispossession and settler, settler colonialism. And to think about how we in the present are fed by the images of anti-black murders to also then think about the way to move forward, to imagine 
better worlds, but also to think about how those worlds can be created without the idea that police and prisons are necessary, but that instead that we must engage in systems of negotiation and accountability at the very small and minuscule level as even how we plant a seed and, and care for its growth, to not make it about privatization and profits, to make sure that as much as we think about Black lives as standing in for revolution, that we think about how Black lives also means that we need to rethink the way we engage living and non-living entities in this world so that what we're creating together is a world that is whole, W-H-O-L-E, instead of a bigger whole, H-O-L-E, when it comes to developing a radical imagination that allows us to be together and to engage in collective survival rather than piecemeal reforms that only save certain people and certain bodies over and over again, especially those with money, with entitlements and with power. So for me, Black Lives Matter is a matter of public health. And I believe that Roske's poem really prompts us to think about how what we carry in our hands and what we share with each other is in and of itself revolutionary. I'll end there. Thanks, Rufay. I think that's a beautiful moment to stop at. Thank you for listening to this emergency episode of We Need Gentle Truths for Now, Black Lives Matter, Ghosts Can't Tell Stories. Emmett Till and Eric Gardner were silenced by violence. Through the words of poets and critics, their stories persist. Angry, peaceful, and mundane. Poems are not a solution, but rather an invitation and an invocation to act and do a little differently, perhaps as plants do. Help us to breathe so we can engage together to better the internet and ourselves. Our shared purpose might be to contribute to, counter, and gently improve our contemporary media state, and then pass it on. Thank you, Jaffe and Nishant, for doing so. This episode was produced, written, and read by Alexandra Yuhas. It was directed and edited by Matthew Hiddle and copy edited by Gavin McCormick. Music by Noah Chevin. Social media assistance by Julia Gill. Performances by Jaffe Cheng and Nishant Shahani of their own words, plus poems by Ross Gay and Eve L. Ewing. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.